Okay. I'd now like to introduce our breakfast speaker. This is somebody who's, I, I get the privilege of uh, somebody who's very special to me and helps me, has been helping me with my recovery for like over 10 years. Uh, that uh, is very important and somebody that we have from the Valley that's a real treasure. And that's Ken G from Encino. Good morning. My name is Ken, and uh, I'm an abstaining, compulsive overeater. I've always called myself an overachiever with a fork, because that's what I did best. I would eat. I did that very well. I never thought it was an eating disorder. My problem was stopping. I didn't have a trouble eating. And I learned that here, that meals have a beginning, a middle, and an end. I never knew how to end it. I also couldn't interact with people. I didn't think that had anything to do with eating. I, I couldn't interact. I opposed people. And I don't do that anymore. Once in a while, my wife says, you have a positive attitude now. And I'll tell you one thing about a positive attitude. It doesn't solve all my problems, but it helps annoy enough people to make it worthwhile. I want to share just a little bit of where I come from because I'm here to share recovery, not how I ate. If you know how you ate, then you know how I ate. I was over 300 pounds when I found this program in 1978. It was February. And I had already been on amphetamines for over 20 years. I've taken the uh, female hormone shots. I went to a psychotherapist when I lived in New York. I went to a hypnotherapist out here. I tried Metrical, where you give up food forever, and I always lost weight, 30, 40 pounds. I don't know my real weight. I know it was 300 plus because I only got on normal scales, and they go to 299 and hit. And when I did start a diet, it would take me two to three weeks to get under 299. Diets work for me when I'm asleep. That's, that's the only time they work. I can't stand being on one because it's like wearing a chain. I have to do this. I have to eat this way or that way. I found this program by accident. I went to a business meeting in San Francisco. There was a man there. We used to binge together in New York years before, and he had a smile on his face, and his body looked really neat. And my only question was, what happened? And he told me about OA. He found something that was good for his life. He said, look it up in the phone book wherever you go. It's there in the white pages. That was God working in my life because I met him. I haven't seen him in 10 years. We met at a business meeting, and I haven't seen him since, and that's over 32 years ago. But in those few minutes we spoke, he planted the seed of this program, and that was in February. So I came home, and this was the next thing I was going to try. I, I found out where there was a meeting on Wednesday night. I went to the meeting. I didn't understand it, so I didn't like it. 
I didn't understand there's no scale, there's no food plan. They had a gray sheet, but there was nothing on there telling me what I had to eat. Just uh, made suggestions. And that's what we do for each other. We make suggestions. And um, I was told, you need a sponsor. So I, I needed to think about that, so I went back home. I could go to a meeting the very next night. In Los Angeles, they have them all over every day and night. But I said, no, no, I went on Wednesday, and I have to wait till next Wednesday night. So the next Wednesday I went. They had a break at the meeting, and um, sponsors stood up, and I said, well, I'm going to give this a shot, and as soon as it doesn't work, I'm out of here. And I went over to one man who had a uh, small stature, a normal body, and I said, I can manipulate a person like this. And I asked him if he could show me what this is all about. And he said, we talked about what sponsorship is. I have to call him and tell him what I'm eating. I found that very interesting. And, and he showed me some tough love. At the very first time we spoke, he said, Ken, I'll tell you exactly how you have to tell me what you're eating. If you put it in your mouth, you put it in my ear. And I got it. I understood that. And I did that. And, and sponsorship was different then. You did it for 21 days, one day at a time. After 21, you could quit. The sponsor could quit, whatever. So I did that for 21 days. I dropped 15, 16 pounds. I didn't need you anymore. I didn't need this thick book that doesn't even have any pictures. I didn't need, <laughs> I didn't need to use a telephone to call up to find out how someone else was. And the weight came back with puppies. And just like a diet, it came back. And I couldn't understand why until I found out that in changing my lifestyle, I would change the way my body looks. I don't believe there's anything wrong with any of our bodies. The disease lives up here between our ears and tells us what we must do. And it tells us to kill ourselves. This is the slowest form of death. So I started in abstinence and I broke it. And I started and I broke it. Between February and November, I started maybe, I don't know, six, ten times. And, and every time this man took me back, I was hoping he wouldn't. So I, I couldn't tell him to go away. I wanted him to tell me to go away. And he, he didn't do that. And then I reached a point, a bottom, which I never want to reach again in November of 1978. I ate for 48 consecutive hours. I have a very good reason that normal people don't understand. You may understand it. I had people in my home for Thanksgiving. I didn't want to be there. So I ate in the preparation of the food, I ate the meal, I ate in the cleanup, and I got up in the middle of the night and ate. And then I called my sponsor the next day and told him what I did. And he said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to have a clean day. So he said, well, then tell me, what are you eating today? I was full. I, I, I said, I can't eat today. He said, you're going to visit food three times today, even if it's just one piece of fruit. And so I started on that Saturday after Thanksgiving in 1978, I have about 32 years and seven months and of abstinence as of uh, last June 27th. And I applaud God because the weight started going away as I did as I was suggested or told. I was told I need to read the big book. I said it bores me to death. I, I opened the first page. It talks about 100 demoralized people. What do I care? He said, you started on the wrong page. You started on 482. I said, what's on 482? That's manipulation. If he tells me, I don't have to read it. By the way, I'm referring to the third edition. That's what I started on. That's what I still use. 482 has to do with self-honesty. Not being honest with you, not cash register honesty. Being 
honest with myself. I'll give you an example. When I go to the men's room and nobody else is there, I still wash my hands. That's being honest with myself. So I started going to more meetings. I started learning that if I don't work the steps, I will stay on the bottom looking up and get a crick in my neck. And so I started on the steps. I had to write down how my life was unmanageable. I did that. I shared it with this man. And, and today I believe I went through the steps very quickly. It took between two, two and a half years of white knuckling to do those 12 steps. Because every time I read the next one, I, I said, okay, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And I had to get to it because deep inside I wanted to prove that this does not work. It's some kind of a facade. But my weight was dropping. It was going away. Today, I'm somewhere between 170 and 180. I have a range. We all have a range. We don't have a number. Statues have numbers. We have one range to stay in. It might be a little lower in the summer when we're more active. It might be a little higher in the winter when we're more sedentary. But we have a range. And so I've been going to program. I've worked the steps. It works for me, and I found out there are miracles in this program. Someone asked me before I came here to be sure to share some of the miracles that occurred in your life. Well, one is just standing here, being 170, 180 pounds, and talking to a lot of people with very diverse lifestyles, yet we have a common bond. That's a miracle that we share that bond. But I will share what happened the first time. It really blew me away. I've told it before. And it happened when I had two years of program of abstinence, about 1980-81. And I was sent up to solve a real mess in Fresno, California. It was a business problem. I went up there for three days, and the first day was absolutely terrible. The meetings went bad. I was turned down on everything I suggested. I got back to the hotel at about quarter to six, and... A minor miracle. When you walked in the hotel, there was a bar on the right and a restaurant on the left. But I was in my head, and I made a beeline for the elevator, went up to my room, and somehow picked up the phone book, and I looked up OA in the white pages, and it's there. Another minor miracle. I didn't get a tape. I got a, a human being. And they said, There's, there is a meeting. It's out in this little town in the northeast part of Fresno called Clovis. I'll never forget that town. So here I am driving as it's getting dark to Clovis, California. I'm not sure how I'm going. I stopped and asked directions twice. I finally got there. I saw the church where the meeting took place. I went into the lot. I parked, and I was the only one there. And then after a few minutes, a man came around the corner of the building. He unlocked the door to a meeting room and turned the light on and started setting up chairs. So I got out of my car. I went in. I went over to him. I said, boy, I could use a hug. I, I grabbed his shoulders. I said, my name is Ken. I'm from Los Angeles. I did not have the best day. But it's getting better because I'm, somehow I got here. And I dumped my day, and I dumped the fact that I also want something better. And that's why I went to the meeting in Clovis. And I felt better. It's amazing. I felt better. I did what is told to us in the the tools of recovery. Get out of your head. And I did that with another person. That was not the miracle, my feeling good. 
The miracle was that I didn't know it at the time, but the man I was speaking to did not understand English. <laughs> he, he was a Hispanic maintenance man whose job it was to set up meeting rooms. And when I found that out, and I stared at him, I still have his face in my mind, I sat down and cannot tell you about the rest of the meeting. I don't remember it, but I'll never forget him. So the meeting's over. I drive back to the hotel. I go upstairs. I get undressed. I call my wife. She says, how's your day? I said, well, it didn't start out too well, but it ended up okay. And then she said, what did you have for dinner? And it hit me. I never had dinner. That's like a miracle because I was still breathing. And since it was after 9.30 and I was undressed, I didn't want to get dressed and go out and look for a place at 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. That's another miracle. I survived giving up a meal, which I will never have again. That meal is gone. That's in October of, of 1980. And that's the meal I'll never have again. And I'm still here. That's a miracle. There are a lot of miracles. I had another one. And years later, in 2003, I suffered a uh, cardiac arrest. That's not a heart attack. A heart attack is when your heart slows down or beats irregularly. Cardiac arrest, it stops completely. I was in a restaurant with my wife. I didn't know what happened. I fell over. My wife told me she screamed. Someone gave me CPR. I was taken to the hospital. I was giving shock therapy. And uh, I woke up seven days later. I missed seven days of my life. The miracle here was that the doctor came over to me and he said, I was talking to your wife and she told me you used to be over 300 pounds. I said, yes, I was for a long time, but I've maintained this kind of a weight for many years. And he said, it's a good thing, because if you were still over 300 pounds, you wouldn't have made it. CPR doesn't work on very heavy people. So what am I going to say? Thank you to the doctor. He's just a messenger. I said, thank you, God. The only one I can think. I said, could this happen again? He says, it does, but it may not. You know, they, they speak the truth today. I said, what are my chances? He says, you're fine. Go out. I said, anything I should limit myself on? He says, well, watch your food. And I said, I've been doing that for years. <laughs> and I have. And I'm still here. And that's a miracle. So I still work the steps. I believe that when you work the steps the first time with a sponsor, you never finish working them. You see, I still have character defects. I try not to practice them today, but I still have them. So I have to address that character defect and say, what do I want to do? Jump from the character defect to what I have to do next, making an amend. If I don't screw up, I don't have to make an amend. And I have to get on the phone and call someone and say, you know, this is running around in my head, so I'm going to give it to you. And I get rid of my thoughts that way. And that's what we do. Telephone, writing, meetings, the anonymity of this whole, whole program, that's what makes it work for me. But you have to do it. You can't look at it. It's not like going to the movies. This is an active part of our life. So I still do it. I show up. Sometimes I say, oh my God, I'm in the absence of program people. These are all normal people. And I'm very uneased about something. Several months ago, I went to a function where they serve finger food. They walk around continuously with trays. You're supposed to take something and eat it. And, take, 
and I'm holding a glass of soda, and a man comes up and says, look, you didn't take any. You've got to try this. And I said, no, I'll pass today. And he said, oh, you don't know what you're missing. Aren't you going to eat it all? And he's pushing. He's pushing. And the only thing I could do with the terminally normal people, those are the people that live out there, is say, you know what, I'm a compulsive reader. He did not understand. He said, what's that? And my only definition, my definition of, the, of a compulsive overeater is I used to be someone who used food to make myself feel better, but I felt worse, but I couldn't stop doing it. And he looked at me and he said, oh, and he walked away. <laughs> Terrific. That's why I never forgot that line, because I'm going to use it again, because someone bugs me about food. I committed my food for years, and I still do if I have an unusual day. Maybe there's a wedding at 8, 9 o'clock at night. I don't eat dinners at 10 o'clock. I just don't. I just put the napkin on the plate, and I sit there and enjoy myself with people, not food. And people start asking, why aren't you eating? I said, I already had dinner, or I had enough, or uh, it's not good for me, whatever. It's not, not their business, but they certainly push. So I'll call someone and say, I'm going to have my dinner at 6. I'm having this and that. I have an abstinence. And people wonder what the abstinence is sometimes. It's a white and black abstinence and a gray abstinence. The white and black part is I don't eat bread. I used to love bread. I lusted for bread. Matter of fact, you know, men like to look at uh, centerfolds in a magazine. They open up the centerfold and they get all excited and happy. And my idea of the best centerfold would be a loaf of rye bread. And nobody understands that. Nobody. So I don't eat bread because there's not enough. I don't eat red meat. Because some nights in my life, the only reason I went home was knowing I'd have a red meat dinner. And over the years, I've lost the feeling for it. I, I would never order red meat because I don't have a taste for it any longer. That's called a miracle. No doctor could do it. It happened from practicing what we learn here. And I also gave up refined sugar, which still is loud because it's in everything, all over the place. And I'm not a person that will say, uh, what's in this? Is there sugar in this? If I look at it and it doesn't look right to me, or it looks too good, I say, I'm passing. I can't have that. Not today. You know, I have it tomorrow. And I, I'm asked, do you want to take this home with you? I said, no, no, not really. Thank you. I have to say thank you at the end for closure. Because people don't stop selling food. This is a higher power program. I didn't understand that either. When I got to the third step, after writing down how my life was unmanageable, after writing down everything in the second step that I tried doing to lose weight and sharing that, I got to the step that I thought would release me, give me freedom from this program, because I did not believe it. I came from an Orthodox home that had peace and love one day each weekend, and the rest of the week there was verbal abuse. They talked behind people's backs. They were crazy. But they practiced that serenity with a religion one day on the weekend. So I didn't want a religion. And if I found out this was a religion, I'd have walked out. And it's not. It's a spiritual program. 
There is simply a power greater than myself doing for me what I could not do for myself. My parents couldn't do it. My aunts and uncles couldn't do it. Doctors couldn't do it. I get it here from you. You could do it for me. I think we do it for each other. So that's exactly where I was with step three. I, I, I couldn't believe that there was a higher power because I came from a home which told me there was a prescribed God and this is the one you have to believe in. And I sat down with my sponsor and I said, tell me, how am I supposed to find a higher power? And he said something that blew me away. He said, Ken, don't concentrate on finding a higher power. Your job is to look for one. And that's what we do when we go to a meeting. That's what we do when we pick up the big book. We do it when we pick up the phone because it's ringing and someone's calling us or we're calling someone else and we're going to talk to them like we've never spoken to people out there before. And we continue to look for a higher power because if you don't look for something, you don't find it. And he pointed out that I have to write down things that I or no other human could accomplish. I didn't understand that. He says, make a list and we'll talk about it. I, I really couldn't understand it. And when we got together again, I said, I don't understand. I mean, some people cannot be, they're not doctors, but some people are. He says, no, you got it wrong, Ken. Something that no human could do. He says, can you turn day into night? No. Can you stop the waves from hitting the shore? No. Can you make a flower open? No. He said, there's a power that does all those things. It does them every day. That's the higher power. And that really was a chink in my armor because those things do happen. And there's no human to make them happen. They just keep happening. And we take them for granted. I wake up in the morning at about 6.30. I used to try to sleep when I worked. I had to get up at 8. But on the weekends, I just stay in bed. I wake up at 6.30 now. I enjoy seeing the sun come up. I reach for it today. My life is not perfect. But it's light years ahead of where it was when I walked in here. And I go into a store and I can buy clothing like other men. I don't have to go to that special store. My 54-inch waist is down to a 38. And that's a miracle. But I don't concentrate on that either, because it can go right back to 54 if I want to start listening to what's between my ears. I don't have the time for that. It'll drive me crazy. Because once I believe you get the serenity of what we find in these rooms, you don't want to go back and be alone. I was a loner. I didn't trust people. I, did, as I said, didn't interact with them. I didn't want anything to do with anything except myself, and I couldn't solve my own problem. That's a compulsive reader. So I still go to meetings. I had another miracle that occurred when I took a job in Phoenix in the early 80s. I went to work for a man who had a radio station. I went to radio early on after college. I loved it because I could talk to people. They could hear me, and they couldn't see me. I liked that. So I went to Phoenix. I started working for him. I went to, uh, my family was here. I went to seven meetings a week, actually nine, one Saturday afternoon, one Sunday afternoon, and every night I had nothing else to do except work. And then God was worked in my life. He tested me. The man who hired me, who owned the radio station, died. I was only there about less than a year. He died. And within a week, 
The man's wife came in with a group of lawyers and he said, well, we're changing this to a Hispanic religious station, so we're all gone. So here I am with my wife in a house in California that's sold. We're in escrow period. A son in college, a daughter just almost graduating high school, and I don't have any work. That's not a good reason to eat. That's a good reason to kill myself. So I got in the car, and I drove home, and I remembered something I learned early on, and I still have to work on. Living in the day. I just have to take care of myself on the 10th of July, today. I never knew a day at a time. My head used to go into the past, it used to go into the future, and then today was over and I didn't know what happened to it. And today, even more important than a day, is getting through the moment. Because on any given moment, I could screw up and have to start over. I don't want to start over because, you know what, I'm afraid I won't be able to. That's a positive fear. I don't want to start over. I just want to start over by getting up in the morning and having a clean day. So we got home. We had to get out of our home. It was sold. I rented. I was looking for work every day. That was my job. I found it. I had to say, thank you, God. I don't know how I found it. It was a very good job, very good work. And within a year and a half's time, we bought another home. My son continued college. My daughter graduated high school. And again, what could I say? I said, thank you, God. Who am I going to thank? I never wanted to ask for help, and I do those things today. I, I use words I never used before. I ask people to help me with something. I say the words, I'm sorry. I say, thank you. I never used any of those words, but they're good for me because they keep me clean. And that's exactly what I want to be today, clean of the old Ken, because he was a killer. A doctor told me I would not have made it if I would have stayed the way I was. So that's not who I am, that's who I was. And I'm here today. And the best part of every meeting, when I go to a meeting, and I have a regular meeting, it's Saturday mornings at 10 o'clock, in the uh, Valley OA office called Spiritual Maintainers. I'll tell you something I, I really can't believe. I've been going to that meeting for 30 years. I can't believe that. I never did anything for 30 years. I never knew people, the same people, for 30 years. There are still people in that room that were there at my very first meeting on a Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. That was 10 locations ago, but it was the same meeting. And when I go to the meeting, my favorite part is when people pitch, because I get to hear what works for them. And if it works for them, it could work for me, because I need to have a battery charge on a day-to-day -day basis. If I want to take time off and put my feet up, I have to have something within reach to eat while I think about what to do. So I have other habits, too. We go away on a vacation. I don't eat at a pool. My wife likes to, and our kids used to like to, and they invite their friends to eat at a pool. So you know what? I go in the lobby, I buy postcards, and I write them to my friends. I don't eat at the pool. I'm uncomfortable. And I write cards to people. Say, I'm taking care of myself. Hope your day is going well. I thought of you. Peace and serenity, Ken. I send them off. And a month later, someone comes up to me and says, I got your card. I don't even remember writing that person. But that's what I have to do. The, any steps to move forward. Because my head puts me in reverse. So I treat people a lot 
gently, more gentle than I did in the past. And people think, oh, that's who I am. I always was this person. The people that are out there that are terminally normal don't understand. They don't get it, and they're not supposed to. They're not supposed to. I do have a power that's greater than myself. That's why I'm standing here. I do have a belief that I'm going to make mistakes, and I can practice the sixth step and admit what they are, and if I need to, the eighth and ninth to make amends. I still make a uh, tenth step when I need it. I have a, I do it a little differently. I have a sheet of paper that's called tenth step, and it's got a group of questions. You answer the questions, you fold it up, either mail it to someone or you read it to them on the phone, and then you tear it up and burn it and throw it away. I still do that. And once in a while, my wife, who knows this program, who has come to meetings, she'll see me sitting at my desk writing. and says, oh, are you doing that again? And I just smile and say, yep, I'm doing it again. I don't need to provide any other information. I avoid argument at any cost. Not because I won't win it, but because it'll, it'll kill me. Arguing just has no end for me. And so I don't do that. I come here instead. I have people in my life I never had before. I know so many of you, and for so long a time, and I thank you for being here, because I can't do this alone. I don't know anybody who can. I always used to pitch in a meeting, if you can do this alone, take my number, give me a call, and tell me how. Nobody has ever called and told me how. Thank God. Because I can't. So I still travel. I have friends in, uh, I hear from one man in Florida on a day-to-day -day basis for the last 22 years. He moved there from here. He has a wonderful program. We touch base in the morning. That's sort of spiritual right there. Because there's a three-hour time difference, too. I have healthy relationships with people that I sponsor and that sponsor me. I'm doing something I couldn't believe. I sponsor men and women. And my wife knows every one of them. And loves every one of them as I do. So, this is who I am. I have nothing more to say about this other than leaving you with uh, some sort of a quotation. I collect them over the years. They're said by other people. Most of them are normal. They don't even know they're saying something that refers to our program and how to do it, and how to succeed. So I'm thinking about what to say. I will share something that Henry Ford said in the 1940s, a very materially successful man. And he said, whether you think you can do something, or whether you think you can't, you're right. Thank you very much for being here. I'd like to now introduce Karen, who is our vice chair and has some important announcements. Hi, everybody. I'm Karen. I'm a compulsive overeater. 
And I feel fabulous having heard Ken just now. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ken. Okay, some of these you've heard before, some of these you haven't, so please bear with me. If you spoke at a panel or a workshop, any, any recorded event, and you did not sign a release, please see Ira, who's sitting right here, and please do it as soon as you can. We want to make sure that we're, you know, following the letter of the, not the law, but you know what I mean. Um, evaluations. When you all registered in your program, there was an evaluation form. We want to make sure that we get those back from you because we'd like to be able to take what worked and what didn't work and give it to next year's convention committee so that they can do what worked and fix what didn't. We will be collecting those in the closing. There are two boxes that say evaluations on them in the back of the room at the closing ceremony, which will begin at 10 o'clock in salons A, B, and C. So please, 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 anything you want us to know, please write it down. Some people have told me things and I said, please write it down because I'm not going to remember. So please do that. Uh, lost and found had been in, in hospitality. Felice has the lost and found items now. If nobody claims them, we are going to leave them with the hotel. So if somebody at your meeting next week says, oh my gosh, I left my sweater there, say, you know what, it's at the hotel. Hopefully. Um, also, at the very end of the closing, on the back tables where the evaluation boxes are, <coughs> excuse me, there's some of those wax papery ice bucket things that we use for baskets. Please return your badges, take out your name bags, drop the badge in there so we can use them again next year and not uh, unnecessarily spend excess region to money. The Rags to Riches Boutique is open at this very moment as we speak. I understand they're going to stay open until 1030. They're going to have sales for the rest of this morning like you wouldn't believe. So if you haven't hit the place, hit the place. At the very end at around 1030, they're going to pack it up, bag it up, and it's going to go off to whatever um, charitable organization they're, they're donating to. I'm afraid I don't know which one that is. Also, in the hospitality room, there is a, a bulletin board that has love notes up there that people have been leaving over the weekend. There's a bunch of them still up there with different people's names on them. So you might go check there before they close the hospitality room, which I think they're closing at about 10. So check, go check over there and see if there's a love note up there waiting for you to see it and warm your heart. Okay, now, some of you, I notice, have been eyeing our lovely and wonderfully beautiful centerpieces. Yeah, in fact, some people tried to take them home last night. <laughs> but we needed them for this morning. But here's what we're doing. At your table, the person whose OA abstinence birthday is the closest to today whether it be before or after, the closest to July 10th, is invited to take home the centerpiece. So, if, so there you go. And if the winner at your table lives out of town or cannot take it, I would be more than happy to take it for you. All right. And I think that's the end of my announcements. Thank you all for being here this morning, and uh, I will turn the podium over to David. Also, one thing I want to add, we still have some T-shirts for sale. We're going to have them at the back of the clo 
at, for the closing, which starts in 30 minutes, we'll have them in the back. Please remember that to buy T-shirts, it's part of a donation. It helps us carry the message. Okay. Can I have Eileen up to lead us in the serenity prayer to close? Eileen? You're... Would everybody please stand and join hands? The serenity? Okay. I know that one. The serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Keep coming back. It works. Oh, you just did it. Thank you.